God is good. All the time. time. It's good to worship together. I'm curious. Um, This is my story. How many of you read Ruth chapter 3? Seven times in the last week. I see those hands. How many of you, after you read it the first time, said, this is not my story. This has never happened to me. I went home and I said to Melanie when we read it that evening, I said, what have I done? Asking people to read God's word, thinking this is our story. It's such an unusual story. Safe to say, parts of the Bible are descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, they tell us what people did in 1200 BC, not necessarily what people do. Marriage customs are interesting, but they are not the same, safe to say, 3,200 years after the story of Ruth. But I'll stand by my words that we are part of this great story, the romance of redemption. Would you open your Bibles with me? Ruth chapter 3, one more time. We'll start chapter 4 this afternoon, but... Let's stand together in reverence for God and His Word. Surely God has a word for us in His Word. Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he, when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. I guess so. (laughs) He turned And there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, and now my daughter Don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. 
So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And when she did, did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. Then she went back to town. I'm sorry. Then he went back to town. Then when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she said, she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sometimes we become the answer to our own prayers. As you track this story, we notice that it's really a story of favor, as we saw last week, but maybe even a more prominent word is the word chesed. It's a Hebrew word which means covenant faithfulness or loving kindness. It's, a, it's an unexpected, undeserved kindness. We might say in chapter one, we saw Ruth's kindness to Naomi as she was willing to leave her land and go and live in Naomi's country. And, and she said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. That is kindness on her part. And Boaz will say, everybody's heard about your kindness. In the second chapter, I think we see Boaz's kindness to, to Ruth. He shows her kindness by giving her food, provision, and protection. In the third chapter, the kindness, surprisingly, is not Boaz's continued kindness to Ruth, but it's Boaz saying, Ruth, you have been very kind to me by proposing marriage to me. That's the story. Naomi realizes that she's not going to live forever and that her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is also a widow, is going to need a husband to sustain her. This is economic, I think, as much as anything in the ancient world. Um, they had benefited from Boaz's provision and protection, but, but Naomi knew there was more, and so she had a plan, and the plan was you go and lie down. These customs sound odd to us, but you wait there. And, um, and if he puts the cover of his robe over you, then he is accepting his responsibility as one of our family members, not only to redeem our land, but also to marry you. And I love Ruth in this story. She is very willing, very obedient. She goes and she does this. And, and when he awakes, she invites him to place the corner of his robe over her, and he reminds her that there is one who is a closer kinsman who has the sort of first right of refusal for the land. 
And so he says, if he will do his role, then so be it. But if not, then I will. And, and he loads her down with more food because Naomi, who's come to the land, returns, she says, I left full, but I've come back empty. But she will be empty no more because there is food, there is provision, there is protection, but there is even more than that. As I pondered this story, I would simply say this is not um, what I would call uh, the title of the sermon, the right spouse for you, finding the right spouse. That's not the way I interpret this text for us today, but it, it does strike me that this actually is our story. That perhaps in our relationship with God, we might say, this kind of preaching I think is popular these days, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so, and so, as long as you've got God's protection and provision, you've got everything you need, except God wants more for us than we would settle for. Not only to provide for us, not only to protect us, God wants to offer us not only his provision and protection, but actually his person. He wants us to enter into a relationship with him. Larry Crabb has written an interesting book called Shattered Dreams, writing from Naomi's point of view. And there's a quote in Larry Crabb's book that I think is helpful for us today. He says, there's no higher dream than experiencing God as he moves through every circumstance of life to an eternal encounter with himself where transformed people will enjoy perfectly loving community around Jesus Christ, the source of perfect love. When I read chapter three this week, I wondered, what do I really want from God? Is it enough for God just to be the source of blessing in my life so that he becomes the means to my end of living out my dream for my life? God, give me what I need God, keep me healthy and safe, and I'll take care of the rest. No, it turns out God wants more for my life and your life than that. He wants us actually to be a part of that great bride of Christ, the church, the body of Christ, Jesus' people in this world. He wants us to live in covenant relationship with him. So two thoughts this morning. First of all, in the romance of redemption, like Ruth, we risk requesting redemption and resting under our Redeemer's wings. My study this week reminded me how this expression, stay close, Boaz says, stay Stay close, if you will. Stay close to my workers so that you'll be protected and you'll be provided for. And, and so also Naomi uh, says to her, stay close. And she stays close. She lives with her mother-in-law. But it's not always going to be that way. Naomi's not going to live forever. And Naomi uh, has this plan, and it's a plan. And again, I would just acknowledge again, it's not like any marriage proposal I've ever heard of or ever seen. But you understand, in the world, there are lots of different uh, customs around marriage. For instance, I was teaching just last year in a doctoral seminar up in Waco, and one of my students was a pastor from the West African country of Ghana. And somehow, in the course of the conversation, he said, so in our country, if you want to marry a man's daughter, you must give him 
a cow. And I said, well, that's interesting. I said, because the young man who's dating my daughter has about 19 cows right now. He has a little herd of Herefords, his own cows. And, and honestly and sincerely, this pastor from West Africa said to me, ah, so how many cows would he have to give to you to marry your daughter? And I said, he's gonna need more cows. And true to my word, they're not dating anymore, presumably because he just didn't have enough cows to marry my daughter because there were other things involved in terms of integrity. And the word for the wings of refuge, interestingly, is the same word for the corner of Boaz's robe. And so, so Boaz has said, uh, may the Lord cover you with his wings of refuge, back in chapter 2, verse 12. And the image is that the actual refuge will be the corner of his robe, the wings of Boaz represent. And so when he wakes up, you, you say, well, what woke him up? Well, I'm pretty sure it was because his feet were cold. You know, and he's like, what, what is going on? He awakes and there's a woman there and he doesn't understand. But she doesn't follow Naomi's script exactly. Instead, she just gets to the point and says, you need to spread the corner. I don't know how this works here. I'm from Moab, but I understand if you put the corner of your robe over me, look, you are our guardian redeemer. Do your job. You're a redeemer. Redeem. And as I read this this week, I was just reminded that when we know who we are, who, who are you? I'm your servant, Ruth. And you, if we know who God is, you are our redeemer. We are in a safe place to ask God to do what God does. The prayer for salvation. Look to the Lord, all the ends of the earth, and you will be saved. The, the promises of God are fulfilled in the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and, and following, says, ask, and, and you will receive. Uh, seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The story reminds me again to ask the question, what do we believe about God? What kind of God is he? Is he the kind of God who makes us healthy? Is he the kind of God who makes us wealthy? Or is he the God who wants us to live in vital relationship with him? And it's not lost on me that Ruth is risking a great deal by going to the threshing floor at night where all the men are working. She's risking her reputation. She's risking rejection. What if Boaz, like the other redeemer in chapter 4, not to get ahead of ourselves, says, no, I'm not willing to risk my inheritance to enter into relationship with you. There is certainly a risk for her to go. But honestly, can I just ask you, so what does Ruth really have to lose by asking him to marry her. And there is certainly a risk in asking God to redeem us. But I suppose the greater risk would be in not asking God at all. It strikes me that God is working in our church in these days. Uh, one of our men 
felt God leading him to come and pray. So he, he came and started praying at lunchtime in our chapel, praying for our church, praying for revival. Ruth, Ruth uh, says in verse 5, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. There's obedience there. But then I think in verse 9, when she says, put the cover of your garment over me, it functions as a prayer. What she's saying is, I'm asking you to be who you are. And that is a safe prayer for the people of God to ask. I, I've been thinking about obedience and prayer and how God is working among us and was reminded of A.W. Tozer, who, by the way, said almost every famous quote in the history of the church. If you think about it, everybody says, I think it was Tozer who said. But what he says is, there's a lot of praying these days for revival. But if you notice, there's not a lot of revival. He said, I'm afraid we've substituted the word praying for the word obeying. In other words, to come to God and to say, I want my heart to be right, God. I want to be obedient to you. I want to seek you while you may be found. And there is this call to prayer. I, I think about uh, one of our members who uh, she says on May the 23rd, God made himself so powerfully real to her in prayer. Her husband, who was sitting there with her, said to me, she's not the same person since she started praying. There was a little girl. You may know the story. Her name is Zoe, which means life. She was diagnosed with glioblastoma on May the 23rd. She's been fighting for her life. At one point, couldn't respond to her family. And the doctor said, unless she wakes up on her own, unless she walks again, there's really not any hope for her. And our church member organized a group of people to begin to pray. And as they began to pray, Zoe got better. She began to respond again. They started the proton therapy again. God is answering. But what was interesting is when our church member, Yao, Yao Shin, came to me, she said, the greater miracle seems to be what God is doing in those of us who prayed. You can imagine in our community that some of those who signed up, some are members of Chinese Baptists, some are members of Tallowood, but others don't go to church anywhere. They, they didn't really, wouldn't have called themselves believers. And Yao said, some of them from China have come out of this experience to believe in Jesus Christ. And her last words, I think, are telling. She said, there will be more. There will be more who come to believe through this experience. And Yao said, what if our church got involved in, in praying around the clock? What if we said again, there was a time, wasn't there, 713-464-PRAY, uh, where, where somebody was praying on the hour, every hour, and there was a move of God. Just this week, I was reminded, somebody told me, I, I think it was Stacy Dardar, she said, you know, my dad, Bob Weatherall, he had one hour, and Max Grigsby followed right on his heels. And I thought, well, imagine a church where Bob and Max are praying back to back. No wonder great things happened here. And then I wondered, so who's next? Who's going to step into that role? Who's going to be involved in prayer? Howard Taylor, the son of Hudson Taylor, the missionary who had such a tremendous impact on China, he said about his father and China, for 40 years, the sun never rose over China except my father was on his knees 
praying. John Knox was overheard by his family praying, God, give me Scotland or I die. And it made me wonder, so who's praying that for our city and for our country in these days? And if it's not the people of God, then who is it? And whatever Tallowood's future is, we will receive it on our knees or we will not receive it at all. We are, we are forever after another Bible study. Baptist preachers ought to be for Bible studies. But we are educated beyond our level of obedience. Give me one more study so I can understand one more obscure fact about some obscure text somewhere. Because that's easier than saying, God, what do you want from my life? Here I am, God. Send me. This is the call of God upon the people of God in these days. In the romance of redemption, we risk requesting that God redeem us, and we rest under the shadow of his wings. And like Ruth, I might just ask you this morning, church, when we have one more Bible study on Wednesday night, so 40 or 50 men can get together online. Where are the people who pray? And may I ask, like Ruth, church, what do we have to lose by falling on our faces before God and saying, you're a redeemer, redeem us. You want us to be revived more than we want to be revived. God, do what you've done in the past. Awaken your people, renew our hearts, call us back to you. Second thought, in the romance of redemption, our Redeemer responds with certain redemption. I love that Boaz's first words, this is a characteristic of Boaz's life. The Lord bless you, he says. He greets his workers. The Lord be with you. And they say, the Lord bless you. When Ruth says, how do you know who I am? In chapter 2, he says, everybody knows about you. He'll say here, you are a noble woman using the same word. By the, by the way, the only, only other place that expression is used, a wife of noble character. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. By the way, Ruth is in that family of descent of Solomon who writes those words. But, but Boaz is going to be who he's going to be. And when he says that she is a woman of noble character, she matches what the Scripture has said about him earlier at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, that he's a man of noble character. And Boaz has this faith that the Lord is a redeemer, that God's plan actually can work. And so he, he asks God to work. And then he acknowledges her kindness to him. One of my friends who's worked with a great deal of people who have resettled in our country because they were forced out of their country. Uh, they've come here, uh, not just as refugees, but to resettle in our country. We have so many members in our church who are like that. By the way, all of us, uh, our ancestors came here at some point. You realize that, right? We all, they all came at some point. And so, um, she said to me, if we're, if we're always saying, so what can we do for these new people who've come to our country, which, by the way, um, you know, the guests in our gates, this passage speaks to that, we might also recognize 
that God sends people here to do something for us, that Ruth comes to Israel not only so she can get something, but because she has kindness to give, kindness to her mother-in-law, now kindness to uh, Boaz, and ultimately, ultimately, Boaz is a man, before he is a kinsman redeemer, he is a man who knows the God who is with us, the Lord be with you, who knows the God who blesses us, not only with his presence, but with his power. J. Oswald Sanders wrote in a book called Enjoying Intimacy with God, we are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. That's a hard word. True, there are times when we would like to know a deeper intimacy, but when it comes to the point, sometimes we're not prepared to pay the price involved the price of sitting before the Lord I know we live in this world most significant book I've read in a number of years uh, uh, John Mark Comer's book um, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life and he talks about how the culture has sped us up to the point where we're always on to the next thing and we don't have time just to be under the shelter the refuge of our father to live in intimacy to abide with him, to live in relationship with him. But in his book, Faith for the Exiles, David Kinnaman, Mark Matlock, joint writers, talk about resilient disciples. And this is what they say. They experience far greater joy and intimacy with Christ. They're more likely to say that their relationship with Christ brings them joy. They're more likely to say that they listen to God in prayer. Can I just ask you today, is your relationship with Jesus Christ bringing you joy? Because Jesus had this idea that when we abide in him, we would experience a, a deeper joy, and this would make us resilient in our walk with him. I love about Boaz that he believed that God was a redeemer, and he lived in relationship with him. And then, of course, he lives faithfully, and he becomes the kinsman redeemer. I don't want to complete the story. We, we need to read chapter 4, but it, it strikes me that you and I are living our lives right now, right about in the middle of chapter 3. In what way? Well, when she gets back with all the food that's been given in that moment, um, her mother-in-law, Naomi, says, just wait, just wait and watch and see what he will do. I love about, about Boaz that he's the kind of redeemer who has the intent. He's going to make sure that things are right. And I would just say in this passage, he shows us a picture. It turns out our God is more willing to redeem us than we are willing to be redeemed, that he wants to redeem his people and bring us to a place of relationship with him. I, I know if Hollywood portrayed this scene, this would have been a steamy uh, scene. I mean, it would have been a, you know, uh, an M rating or something or an R rating. But I love the fact that in that moment when she is most vulnerable, he says, you are a woman of noble character. He does not take advantage of the situation because it turns out God's bar for intimacy between a man and a woman goes beyond just consent. I know that's an important word in our world and it should be, but it goes to the place of covenant. He, he is not yet married to her. 
and until he is married to her. And there is, I think, this reminder to us that this is not a Hollywood mogul taking advantage of somebody. This is not a star athlete going out of bounds. This is not a nefarious preacher taking advantage of his power. No, in, 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 that, in that world, there was a man who lived with integrity. And the picture of it gives us a picture of what lies ahead of us. It turns out she will be his bride and you and I will be the bride of Christ. In Revelation chapter 19, verses six through eight, this is what it looks like at the end. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And so she goes home with all this food, and her mother-in-law says, You wait. This man, he will act today. This Redeemer is a reliable Redeemer. He will do what he has to do to make sure that you are provided for, that you have, literally she says, he won't rest until you have a place of rest. You won't, he won't rest until you have a place of rest, and so you wait. And, and as I read chapter three, before chapter four, I would simply say, that's where we live. We're waiting, aren't we, for our prince to come, for our redeemer to come and make the redemption complete for him to rise with healing in his wings. We are waiting for the Redeemer. This is our story as Henry Nouwen describes it when he uh, had these friends who were in the flying trapeze business, the Rudella family, the flying Rudellas. And he was talking with one of them one day and said, so what's the hardest part of, of being a part of a trapeze act where you fly through the air with the greatest of ease? Is the hardest part letting go so that you fly? And he said, no, here's the hardest part. In a trapeze act, there's a catcher and there's a flyer. And the catcher's job is to catch the flyer. The flyer's job is to fly. But if the flyer ever tries to catch the catcher, that's when you see people get hurt. Because when they start grasping and struggling, trying to catch somebody, that's when somebody falls. And Henry Nouwen said, in the great redemption drama of the ages, we're not the catchers. We're the flyers. And God, we are waiting. Some of you say, I feel like I'm waiting in midair right now. Yeah, you may be. But your catcher is worthy. He will not let you fall. This is our story. This is our song, praising our Savior all the day long. And our Savior will not rest until he brings us to a place of rest. That's what we're waiting for. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that there is a Redeemer Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One, thank you, O oh, our Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit until the work on earth is done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.